Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. In many communities, I know you often see people wearing a button that says, be kind. In an ever-competitive and sometimes selfish world, that doesn't seem so easy to do. Add to that the economic and personal pressures and the acceleration of everything. And sometimes kindness gets left behind. But suppose we found out that it's not just something we can do to make us feel better. Suppose we discover that kindness can help us live longer and healthier lives. Not in some mystical, karmic way, but in a very real, practical, and scientifically based context. We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Dr. Kelly Harding. Dr. Kelly Harding is an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University's Irving Medical Center. She's a diplomat of the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, as well as a specialist in mind-body medicine. She spent much of her career in the emergency room at New York Presbyterian Hospital. She's appeared on numerous programs, and it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Kelly Harding here to talk about her book, The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier, and Healthier with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness. Kelly Harding, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Jeff, thank you so much. The pleasure is mine. Well, it's a delight to have you. And that was a beautiful introduction, by the way. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Before we talk about this particular experiment and, and the whole idea of kindness, talk first in a general sense about how much more we're getting to know these days with respect to the whole mind-body connection and how science has been advancing that understanding? Oh, absolutely. So this is my life's work. Um, You know, really, when I started medical school, when I first started, I was so focused on sort of the body and learning about disease. And then I When I got on the wards, I started to notice this mismatch between, you know, what was expected and then what the actual outcome was and trying to figure out, you know, why did some patients, even with really serious illness, do well? Why did other people, often with very treatable conditions, not function well and and continue to get worse and worse? So it sort of led to this question, what are we missing in medicine? And that led me on this quest to try to figure out exactly what that was. Um, so that's sort of how I, I came to the question, and it eventually led me to these rabbit studies. Talk a little bit about the rabbit studies. What was discovered first? Because it really wasn't about a, a, a wide range of things. It was very specific to things like cholesterol and, and heart disease. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, you know, as a, just to take a step back, I think some of the most fun studies um, that end up being the most meaningful were ones where there were sort of accidental findings where the researchers were paying attention. And so the rabbit study is exactly one of those cases. So Dr. Robert Neerum is a basic scientist um, in bioengineering, and he was focused on looking at, at the time back in the late 70s, sort of this link between a high-fat diet and heart health. So they had genetically identical rabbits. They fed all the rabbits the same. You know, it would be like feeding humans like a bunch of like cheeseburgers and other um, greasy foods, but they fed them a high-fat diet. And when they went to look at the results, they were really surprised. It turned out that one of the groups had far better health outcomes than the other groups. And they didn't know what was going on. So at first they thought there was something wrong with the protocol. So they looked at that, everything checked out. And then they looked up and realized that the group that had done better were all under the care of the same postdoc. So it turned out that she was a particularly kind person who was not only uh, giving the rabbits food, but she was talking to the rabbits. She was petting the rabbits. She was basically giving them love and kindness. And so what they did as smart researchers is they... um, 
they replicated the study this time with really tightly controlled conditions and they got the same results. So what's shocking about this is, you know, they were really, it was groundbreaking because they were really showing that the social environment was impacting health and they felt they couldn't ignore it. At the time, it was a radical idea. And I actually just had the privilege of talking with Dr. Niram on stage in Georgia this past weekend. And he was saying that it wasn't something that most people would think about, but they just felt it was so robust, they had to do it. So they put the study out and then now, you know, here we are four decades later and there is a mountain of evidence that shows us that our social world tremendously impacts our health. And as we find out more about the way in which it can impact our health, can are we finding out that it can have an impact retroactively? That that disease and and problems can sometimes be reversed by these very same methods. So so the thought is that, you know, Kindness in all of its various forms um, and also even our mental state through optimism, it seems, helps people when diseases do occur, uh, they, people tend to do better with them. You know, for instance, like with heart disease or people that have had strokes, if they practice some of the techniques that boost emotional well-being, they seem to live longer and have less recurrence of some of the ailments that happen. So certainly once something has happened, there's so many steps that are within a person's control to try to, you know, help them do better uh, with whatever may come. Talk a little bit about the individual attitude of of the person involved, because it's interesting with respect to rabbits, the control was really outside the rabbit, the the degree to which the kindness and the care was given to, to the animal in this case. With human beings, it's a little more complex because you're also dealing with, with the attitude of the receiver. Talk about that. Well, you know, it gets that. And again, it really comes down to to connection and relationships. And so, you know, What's so neat about that is really thinking about, you know, so our basically our social world is getting under our skin in different ways, but it's probably mediated through the way that we interpret what happens to us. So, you know, it, lots of things come up in life and a lot of them are out of our control, but how we interpret them is actually something that's really uniquely human and wonderful to be able to um to be able to put on that filter of sort of how we interpret it and what's neat about it. And I talk about it in the rabbit effect and in the book, it's actually pretty amazing how our perception of things affects our physiology, like our immune markers, um, you know, our blood pressure, all that stuff. And it probably is what's behind why all of this is good for our health. Are we finding that the reverse is true, that people that are impacted negatively by so much of the realities of life in the 21st century are having adverse health consequences because of it. And and can we see that specific scientific link? Yes. So, so the, and this ripple effect goes both ways. So, you know, it can be a ripple effect of good in terms of sort of kindness and, and ways that we can boost connection. But of course, um, you know, negative or toxic relationships or toxic stress has also a negative impact on the body. So we need to be really mindful of that. It's, you know, both in our, or actually throughout all the day-to-day interactions, whether it be in our homes or schools or workplaces, you know, you name it, um, the grocery store, 
everywhere that you can think of, we have to be thinking about those interactions. So the biggest one, though, that, you know, comes up a lot and there's really robust data behind is what's known as adverse childhood experiences or ACEs, which I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, But to share with your listeners, it's this idea that, you know, there are things that can happen to us out of our control when we're a kid. And it turns out that probably, you know, it's a checklist of about 20 things. And it turns out that, you know, at least um, half of us have at least one of them. So that means like every other person you've passed on the street has some history of trauma, which is important to keep in mind because it affects our bodies and it also affects our our mental health. So um, it's something to be aware of. And it's a conversation that's not happening in a lot of doctor's offices. So that was part of why I felt it was really important to highlight it in terms of the, the book and talking about it and the rabbit effect. In so many respects, there's there's a common sense element to all of this. One wonders, and, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it, why it has taken us so long to get to an, uh, really an understanding of some of these impacts, both positive and negative. That is a million-dollar question, right? Because I think you're right. It's like we just, as human beings, we're social creatures, and, you know, we feel better when we're down, you know, having a supportive hand on the shoulder, having someone, you know, has your back when things aren't good, Um, you know, having a friend to reach out to when it's a difficult day, like all of those things we sort of intuitively know make us feel better. But what's really neat, and that's, that's why it just seems so critical to get it in the hands of people far outside the hospitals and clinics is that there is actually so much evidence out there that it's, you know, it, it just feels as though there's no reason to wait to start being kinder to people because the, the evidence is so impressive. Um, you know, it's interesting. I think part of it might be our paradigm of health in America. So we tend to very much biomedicalize everything. And, um, you know, while while medicine is certainly critical and access to quality medical care is critical for health, it, it probably only accounts for about 10 to 20 percent of our overall health, which as a physician, I found absolutely shocking. As we begin to understand the physiological changes that take place as a result of, of kindness and positive attitudes and all the things we've been talking about, one wonders if we'll get to a point where those things can be somehow artificially replicated, that, that once we understand the physiological changes, that that, that can play a major role in, in how we address disease and a lot of things associated with it. Um, so if we could take like a synthetic kindness. <laughs> a synthetic kindness pill, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that would be nice. I think, unfortunately... Um, it, well, the nice thing is we don't have to wait for a scientist to come up with a kindness pill. We can all just start today. <laughs> so, um, And it can be little tiny gestures, whether it's, you know, letting someone go in front of you in line, you know, talking more to your kids, putting your phone away and being more present with the people that you love. Um, you know, kind, there's so many, whether volunteering, it doesn't have to be these sort of grand gestures, but but we know that, you know, People who volunteer live longer, you know, people who work in the garden, it seems to have boost to the immune system. There are just all these ways we can be kind to ourselves and others. And by the way, I would recommend start with being kind to others because it's much easier to be kinder to someone else often than it is to yourself. Talk about that, that it really can be small steps. It doesn't have to be grand gestures. 
Yeah, so I think I call them micro kindnesses. It's sort of, you know, these little tiny things where, I mean, you can just even think of examples from your own life when you're walking somewhere, someone looks you in the eye and says hello with a pleasant smile. It gives you a little boost. But if that's happening many, many times during the day where you're feeling supported and connected, whether it be at work or at school or, you know, at a volunteer activity, those things actually add up because we also know that the converse is true that what are known as microaggressions or these, you know, tiny like insults, it's like little like death by a thousand paper cuts or something. Um, We also know that that has a cumulative negative health impact as well. And talk a little bit about whether or not these impacts kind of stay or that the kindness needs and the behaviors need to be reinforced constantly. So kindness is a practice. It's not, we're all human beings and we all mess up. And I think having a growth mindset about kindness is really important because, I mean, the reality is, you know, it's like things, it's nice to be kind, but when you're under financial stress or, you know, there's a tight deadline or there's traffic in front of you, kindness goes out the window a lot of times for a lot of people. The idea is though that, you know, you can can keep that in mind. And I think what's helpful is knowing that, what an impact you're having on the health of others. So, so for instance, I just want to, for all the people who may be listening to this on their way to work or, you know, at work, the, the, how you're treated at work and being treated with dignity has a huge impact on your health. In fact, there were these massive studies that showed that actually the biggest predictor of heart disease was how somebody was treated at work beyond cholesterol and blood pressure. So just keep in mind what's happening during your day to day really it has, is having a big impact. And so, you know, we talk about how important it is to have a good uh, doctor, but it's actually really important to have a good manager as well. You mentioned a little bit about this earlier, the way in which the medical profession today is viewing this and incorporating it into a more holistic approach to health? So, so we've, uh, you know, I think there's, I, so I teach medical students up at Columbia and, um, I think the thing that I always keep in mind is that physicians don't have a great record and other people who work in healthcare and when it comes to our own well-being and rates of burnout are record highs. So part of what I think might be behind the burnout is also the fact that we're not addressing social issues when it comes to the people we're caring for. And that doesn't mean that doctors have to do it all, but we need to gather a team that's going to try to address that. And so that might mean doing a lot more work in the community beyond the hospital complexes and really considering that part of health. This is going to have to be that's the thing. It's we can't just rely on the doctors and healthcare professionals to fix our health. Like this is something that each individual who's listening to this has to start taking responsibility. You know, whether you're a teacher, you're a manager, a CEO, an active neighbor, like because all of those things, like people who know their neighbors live longer. It's uh, there are all these things that it's just so amazing how that impacts our health, but yet on a gut level, we sort of all know it intuitively. Does it have to be the kind of the start of a whole new practice, a community health kind of practice that that's different even than the way we've thought about community health in the past? Well, I think so. And what's exciting for me is a lot of these are really low cost interventions because it's sort of like um, I mentioned this in the rabbit effect that we sort of in America often ignore the preventive stuff and we, it's like uh, fixing the car after you've already like run off the road and the brakes (laughs) have failed. Right. So, so we want to be working more to prevent those accidents from happening. And really those often start 
at the earliest stages of life. That might mean supporting new moms, new families, new babies. Um, you know, there are these amazing studies that like sending a nurse or a trained health person out into the community can have a ripple effect of positive health benefits and societal benefits like 15 years later. So, uh, for instance, there was a study that was published in JAMA about in upstate New York where basically nurses who went to the home, not only did they have lower rates of abuse and um, in those homes and the kids had better health outcomes and sort of the standard of care, they also had less crime in those areas 15 years later, which mm. is fascinating, right? Because we talk about being tough on crime, but it seems as though we actually need to be gentle on new moms and new families. By the way, there are only two countries in the world that don't offer paid maternity leave. Um, and that's actually a piece of this too, um, for people that are interested in policy. Um, it's Papua New Guinea and the United States of America. Hmm. Do we understand the scientific basis for this? Why this does what it does? Why kindness has the impact that it does? Uh, so we're starting to understand it, and it is the coolest science. I have to tell you, Jeff, it, um, I, I am a total science nerd, and this makes me so happy to see. So there are these really neat epigenetic changes that occur. So, um, so epigenetic means we've got our DNA, but then on top of it, how the DNA is interpreted and folded depends on what's happening in our social environment, it turns out. And it's, there are increasing studies showing this, and it's really cool science. So um, actually, in the book, I profile one of the people who started to figure this out, that our social environment was actually editing the DNA. It's almost like a story, and if you were to change the punctuation, it makes it like a comedy or a tearjerker. So, um, so and sort of learning what is it about our social environment that can alter that. So um, I talk about like the rat licking, the mama rat licking studies, altering the genetics actually of the, the rat pups um, is part of how we figured this out. And it was just kind of like, again, an incidental finding, but totally fascinating. Um, so that's one way. The other big way is telomere research, which a lot of it's being done actually at UCSF, not too far from you, um, by Dr. Elizabeth Blackburn, looking at telomeres of the little bits of, of uh, the DNA strand, almost like a, a nub on the end of the shoelace or something um, that helps protect the DNA. And it's associated the longer the telomere, uh, the longer the lifespan. So, um, so it turns out that things that are happening in our social environment are impacting that. And then here's the really wild part. It turns out that people who have things like a life purpose have longer telomeres. Um, and so like a reason to get up and out of bed in the morning, or now there's this new information about, um, optimism and how that impacts our health. Like this is just like really cool science to think that it's actually this amazing interplay between ourselves and our environment and our genes. We hear sometimes these days that lifespans in this country are, are beginning to shrink a little bit. T to what extent do you think that that comes not from any specific disease, but from the fact that there is so much that is impacting negatively our environment these days? Oh my gosh. Yes. So, you know, there, and that's actually also part of the urgency of why I felt I needed to write the rabbit effect, because I don't think a lot of people understand how far behind we're falling. So it's one of those things where, you know, we are spending practically double on healthcare in this country and our outcomes are not, it's not a good return on investment. So investing in healthcare is important, but we need to rethink sort of how we're investing in health. And so 
people are in pain, no doubt about it. And it's not the kind of pain that you're going to necessarily get a pill to fix, just like there may not be a kindness pill (laughs) that you can take. But you just have to Google search, why do I feel so? And just leave it blank and see what comes up. And it's like it pulls up the most searched are things like, why do I feel so tired, so alone, you know, so empty? often a lot of things related to mood. Um, There have been these really interesting studies done mostly in the field of economics, actually, which I talk about in the rabbit effect. Um, But it shows that people, especially like white, uh, white young Americans are dying at rates that we wouldn't anticipate. It's almost like so many people have died. A lot of this work is done out of Princeton University by um, Angus Deaton and his wife, Ann Case, who have done uh, actually a lot of research around this. But it's like it's almost like the entire population of St. Louis, Missouri is just gone unexpectedly. And we have to be looking at what's causing that. And and probably it's that we're not investing in our social in our so, social infrastructure the way that other countries are, that we're not considering that part of health. And so it's really critical that everyone who's listening starts to broaden their idea of health beyond, you know, just the individual. It's really we are part of something much bigger. And and in a way, it's really exciting because we can do something about that. Dr. Kelly Harding. Her book is The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier, and Healthier with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness. Kelly, I thank you so much for spending time with us. Jeff, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for all you do. Thank you.